0: Good afternoon to all out there in the Facebook world. Glad to be with you today. Bill Allen coming to you from downtown Tyler in the West Irwin Church of Christ. I hope and pray that you are safe and doing well today. We had an uneventful morning around here with a tornado warning for a while in Smith County and a neighboring county or two. Uh, Thankfully, we did not have any issues here in the downtown area except for some very serious rain, uh, which we've had a lot of this year, and that's a wonderful blessing. Uh, But others, I know, were more in the path than we were a little to our north and northeast. So I hope and pray that all are safe and doing well now. That tornado warning has been lifted hours ago, and we're grateful uh, for God's great power. We're reminded of that in situations like this when we have uh, a weather event and uh, um, our little children were up here on Saturday for a VBS type day and heard about how Jesus calmed the storm and how Jesus walked on the water. So it's a great blessing to know that as powerful as the storms are, our God is even greater, stronger, and more powerful. Uh, Nice to see some folks already joining us. Hello to my dear friends, Larry and Lynn Murphy. Glad to have you joining along in these studies. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, and we're talking about the armor of God. And if you missed the introduction last week, we've only been at this for one week, so last uh, week on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons, we introduced the study. We looked at the book of Ephesians, kind of gave a little brief rundown on it, And we look specifically at uh, this uh, spiritual warfare that we're in. This is a uh, a spiritual armor that is needed for a spiritual war. And this past week, I hope that you'll listen to those lessons. We talked a lot about whether or not the church is a cultural church. And as I said last week, I believe that the church is a cultural church, no matter where you are, what uh, time period you live in, there are going to be some things that uh, you reflect about your culture. And and that's okay. The clothes you wear, the times you meet, the length of sermons, uh, whether you have air conditioning or padded pews or not, a lot of those are time and place uh, oriented and that is reflective of the culture. But to say that the church is a culture, cultural church is different than saying that the church is a worldly church and the church must never be a worldly church. So we uh, made that uh, uh, distinction last week and I think that's an important distinction because Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20 speaks of that spiritual warfare that goes on between God and Satan for our souls. That spiritual warfare that we fight to try to maintain our spiritual commitment and uh, not allow ourselves uh, to be tempted and fall into sin and become uh, worldly people rather than a godly people. So welcome to all of those. Uh, My dear friend Cindy and Eric are here. Uh, Looks like my buddy Eric is here uh, as well. And uh, so that's good to have both of y'all here. And also my friend Pat, she's here as well. And it's always great to have a group of folks chiming in. And so with that, I want us to look at Ephesians chapter six and begin uh, to speak specifically of the first of the uh, elements of armor and that is uh, the belt of truth. It's interesting that uh, before uh, Paul gets to those, he gives us several verses to talk about God's spiritual armor. And this is the, uh, this is the root and uh, source of the great old hymn, Soldiers of Christ Arise. And so I wanna speak to that for just a moment. We'll read first of all in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Well, if you're familiar, if you've been around the churches of Christ or other churches for a while, then you're familiar with that great old hymn, Soldiers of Christ Arise and put your armor on, uh, strong in the strength which God supplies through his beloved son. That, that, those words are taken right out of Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 13. Uh, to call us to put on our spiritual armor and to uh, continue to fight that spiritual battle. Uh, The second verse of that hymn is strong in the Lord of hosts and in his mighty power. And that's verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Uh, What a great reflection that is. And then it goes on. Uh, to call us back to Romans chapter eight, as it says in the song, who in the strength of Jesus trusts is more than conquerors. And that's that great passage in Romans eight. That will be the theme of our summer series here on Wednesday nights at West Erwin Church of Christ, uh, which will be uh, looking forward, conquered or conquer. And I can tell you today that those, uh, those uh, messages that we have will be live streamed. So if you want to watch it tomorrow evening at 6.30 p.m. Central Daylight Time, uh, you'll be able to hear a couple of songs and a prayer and then actually tomorrow night I'll be preaching uh, the first of the messages from the book of Esther, being able to tell that great story and hear those great words. Uh, Who knows but that God has called you and put you in this position for such a time. As this, I'm really looking forward to that message. I won't preach it today, but if you if you can't make be here in person tomorrow evening at 6:30, then you can certainly live stream that on our website westerwin.com, Social media and resources. Click on the live streaming page, and there you are, uh, or you'll be able to see it on our Westerwin Live on Facebook. If you'd rather do it that way. Um, And that's going to be focused on that passage from Romans 8, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But we get back to Ephesians 6, back to soldiers of Christ arise. Uh, The third verse says, Stand then in his great might with all his strength endued, but take to arm you for the fight, the panoply of God. Probably the only time you use that word panoply is when we're singing this song. And what in the world does that mean? Well, that word is the transliteration of the Greek word, the original language term for armor, put on the full armor. The full armor is that word panoply. And uh, and so it's transliterated into English and finds itself in this song, but take to arm you for the fight, the panoply of God, the full armor of God. That term is used twice in this passage. It's used one other time in the New Testament, and that's in the book of Luke, and it's that's just talking about, as Jesus is telling a story, he's talking about someone's armor, and that's the term that is used. But here it says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God. And again in verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God. Take up the full armor of God, one of the terms says, and the other one put on the full armor of God. That's what this passage is talking about. And that's what these words call us to. And that's what this great old hymn calls us to as well. And then the last verse of that hymn, that having all things done and all your conflicts past, you may or come through Christ alone and stand entire at last. And that's what this passage ends with in verse 13. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Uh, That's a great, great statement. You may overcome through Christ alone and stand entire at last. When we put on that panoply of God, that full armor of God, then we're ready. We're ready for that spiritual warfare. We're ready for all of the fiery darts that Satan will fire at us we're ready for all the tests that come at us because we have on that panoply of God that full armor of God and so today we look at the first specific piece of that armor Uh, this week we're going to be looking at verse 14 stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist that's where this passage begins and I think it's significant As the Holy Spirit inspires the Apostle Paul to consider and speak of the the armor of God, this is where he starts with the belt of truth. Uh, I think that's such a significant thing. This was a belt that held all things together uh, for the soldier uh, in the first century Roman world. Small brass plates were attached uh, to it to provide the greatest Possible protection when preparing for battle the belt would have been the first piece of protective equipment Put on by a soldier. We understand we're all about protective equipment, right? We've heard a lot about that over the last 16 months or so But for the soldier in the first century that began with the belt and for Paul for the Holy Spirit for the armor of God the panoply of God for the Christian soldier fighting the battle against worldliness, against sin in order to be faithful to God it starts with the belt of truth it's the belt of truth that holds everything else together Um, the belt was used to tie up garments so that they would not get in the way while fighting for example if he was wearing a long uh, robe or some kind of covering uh, that would be tied up to the belt so that it would not get in the way of the fight or of the uh, escape. It clung closely to the soldier and helped to shield the body. Without the belt of truth, everything falls apart. Without the belt of truth, everything falls apart. But with the belt of truth on, uh, we're ready for service. In ancient and modern times, the belt of truth ties and protects and holds everything together. So let's talk about that concept of truth. In our day and time, truth has fallen on hard times, hasn't it? Uh, There's a significant number of people who believe and who try to persuade others to believe that there's no such thing as ultimate truth. And I want you to know from the start, I don't believe that. I disagree 100%. I believe there is ultimate truth. I realize that in my own humanity, with my own uh, weaknesses and with my own limitations, I may not understand it completely, But that doesn't mean that ultimate truth does not exist because it clearly does. And scripture talks about it. No matter what the society around you does, the culture around you does, no matter what the government around us does, um, we still cling to that truth and live according to that truth. And we hope and pray that that doesn't get us into trouble. But if it does, we continue to hold fast to that belt of truth and let that belt of truth hold all things together in our lives. We're going to be reading some passages of scripture today from the book of John. And the first one is in the first chapter in John chapter one. And after beginning this prologue with that great uh, message in the first verse or two, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was active in creation and the word was life and light and all of those wonderful things. And then as we go down a little bit further, we skip down to John chapter 1. and verse 14, he tells us who he means by that word. It's Jesus Christ. But he also tells us what Jesus came to do. John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, lived for a while among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John the Baptist was the first of the witnesses for Jesus Christ. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And you've heard me say this before, if you've heard me preach very much, whether it's on Facebook or here in person at West Erwin or on our website, I believe that both of those concepts are absolutely critical and essential in the Christian life, grace and truth. There are many voices in our culture today, many voices in our society today that tell us to pick one, pick one, pick grace or pick truth you pick grace, then you say, well, what you believe is not important because Jesus loves everybody and everybody's okay. And we can accept everybody and we can accept all lifestyles and we can accept all convictions because because it's if, if that's what you believe, that's okay. And I understand that living in a democratic republic, everyone gets to believe what they want to believe. Even in the first century, Jesus never forced his truth, his belief on everyone, anyone really, He allowed us to make a choice. But you see, scripture doesn't just say that Jesus came full of grace. It says Jesus came full of grace and truth. Um, And those who would say grace and don't worry about the teaching, don't worry about the doctrine, don't worry about the truth are, are not being biblical and they're not giving you the way of Jesus Christ. Jesus came revealing and full of grace and truth. And so just as you can have grace without truth, you can also have truth without grace. And scripture speaks out against that in the strongest of ways. The life of Christ is a witness against that in the strongest of ways. Jesus exemplified truth as he spoke of God's will and of his will uh, to a fallen world. And he told us what that means. And we'll look at some more scriptures in a moment. But he also told us about grace. He told us about love. He showed us what it means to be faithful to the word and will of the Father, absolutely. But to not sacrifice grace and mercy and love on that altar. Jesus came full of grace and truth and I think it's because he would not budge on either of those. That's the reason why he was crucified. Because I think that he, if he had been all grace and no truth, then the people would never have let the Jewish leaders crucify him. But if he had been all truth and no grace, uh, the Jewish leaders would have loved him. Uh, but the people would have rejected him. Uh, and so what happened when he was full of grace and truth, he spoke God's word in such a way that ultimately they both were upset because he would not be an extremist. He would not be a right-wing or a left-wing extremist. He rejected both, and we must as well. As Christians, we also should be full of grace and truth and not sacrifice either for the sake of the other. That is not being biblical. That's not wrapping around us the belt of truth. Um We continue on with this thought and we think about other passages of scripture, such as Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 or verse 15, that says uh, that we are to be speaking the truth in love. And that's the same kind of thing. It is the truth, and we must speak it, but we must do so in love. And it must be the truth that we speak. Uh, Second Peter chapter 3, that great letter ends with these words to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not to grow in grace only. We're not to grow in knowledge or truth only. But we're to grow in both. Just as Jesus came revealing and full of grace and truth, we too are to grow in the grace and knowledge, the truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and truth both came through Jesus our Lord. But secondly, today, holding to Christ's teaching is essential if we are to be his disciples. We forget that sometimes. Our world doesn't wanna hear that sometimes. But again, we're talking about the belt of truth. And that means we're talking about the teaching of Jesus Christ. How important is that? Well, this passage in John chapter eight, verses 31 and 32 tells us. And we, are we a lot of times, a lot of us may be familiar with John eight thirty-two. You know, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We get that. But I think the context of that verse is verse 31. And so we'll read those two together John eight thirty-one and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Very interesting to me that Jesus was not just talking to anybody and he wasn't even just talking to any of the Jews, but he was actually talking to the Jews who had believed in him. So in one way or another, they were becoming his disciples. And Jesus said this, if you hold to my teaching, then you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. For Jesus, we, he called us to be obedient to that truth. Putting on the belt of truth means that we're looking to the will of God to call the shots in our life. Granted, we're going to do that imperfectly, and that's why we're so grateful that we can be more than conquerors through his beloved son, as that song, Soldiers of Christ Arise" says. But at the same time, we cannot, we cannot budge on the truth of God's word. If we are to have around us the belt of truth That means we will be committed to reading and studying and coming to understand and then seeking to obey what that teaching in the Word of God is. Holding to Christ's teaching is essential if we're going to be his disciples. Holding to the truth. For the truth to set us free, uh, we must be holding to that teaching of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 12, just a few chapters up, uh Jesus is speaking as John is beginning to work towards that climactic moment when Jesus meets with his disciples and then is betrayed and denied and uh, convicted and killed. These words in John 12, beginning at verse 47, John 12, 47 and 48. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. Jesus had said in John 3, I didn't come to judge the world but I came to save the world. And that's true. But let's keep reading, shall we? If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. How important is the teaching of Christ? How important is the word of God? Jesus says, look, I didn't come to judge the world. I didn't come to condemn the world. That day will come, and I'll tell you how that will happen. He said, there is a judge. There is someone who will condemn those who reject my teaching. He says, the very words that I have spoken, they will judge. They will condemn those who have rejected my truth. Um, it's it's an a unbelievable thing to me that people who should have an understanding to some extent of, of the scripture, even of the gospels of what Jesus said, and yet they would reject that call to be obedient to the truth of God's word. Uh, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you are my disciples, then you'll know the truth, then the truth will set you free. And here he says, if you reject me, I don't condemn you now while he's on the earth. But he says, there is one who will reject you, the very words that I have spoken very teaching I have given you, the word of God that I have shared, uh, that word will, uh, will judge and will contempt. If you hold to Christ's teaching, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and the standard of judgment will be the teaching of Jesus Christ. Um, the truth about God causes us to see the truth about ourselves and make the necessary response. And that's why I think we don't like to talk about ultimate truth because ultimate truth convicts us. We look to that word of God and we see that it convicts us of our sins. It calls us to live differently than the way our selfish, uh, sinful self wants to live. And, and many find that difficult to be told no by a God who knows better. And we want in this country, especially I think, and we want in this world as uh, human beings, physical, carnal people, uh, we want to get our way. We we do live selfishly if we live according to our nature. And that's why scripture is there and that's why the call is there, to be obedient to the truth of God's word. And uh, we, we must remember that that necessary response is, to obey his word. Jesus didn't say, if you hear my word, you're great. You're fine. No problem. Whether you accept it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you live by it or not, doesn't matter. That's not true at all. In fact, that kid's song from Matthew chapter 7, the wise man built his house on the rock. Rains came, floods came, house stood firm. Uh, Well, what he says there in Matthew 7 to introduce that illustration, that, that story, is he says, the one who, reveals, who hears my words and does them. Let me tell you what that person is like. That person is like a wise man who built their house on the rock. And in the same way, he says, the person who hears my words and does not obey them. It's like the foolish man built his house on the sand and when the rains and the floods came, the house couldn't hold. Why? Because it wasn't built on the foundation of obedience to God's word. We don't perfectly obey, and, and that's why Jesus came and died on the cross. But the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross does not relieve us of seeking to know God's word and God's will and seeking to live according to that truth, God's truth, the truth, that ultimate truth. Uh, will we, we Will we remain faithful to that truth? I don't know. Will our children? You know, there's a great old song that's taken right out of Psalm 119, How shall the young secure their hearts and guard their lives from sin? Uh, And the last verse, Thy word is everlasting truth. How pure is every page. That holy book shall guide our youth and well support our age. You've heard me say before, likely, that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. I think 170 something verses, longest chapter in the Bible. And guess what the theme of that chapter is? The theme of Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, is the word of God. The word of God. In that passage of scripture we find the words, oh how I love your law, the psalmist uh, would write. Uh, The great words that we sing sometimes, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We read those words in Psalm 119. Even though the psalmist lived under the law of God with all of its hundreds of laws, the psalmist loved the Word of God, loved to put that belt of truth around him, and to live according to that we must as well. We are sanctified by God's Word. In John 17, as, as Jesus prays for his disciples shortly before his death, He says this in John 17 verse 13, I'm coming to you now but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. John 17:17. 17, 17 um, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Is there ultimate truth? There absolutely is. And it's this right here. And I realize that that Some will say that's a very divisive statement, Bill, but that's the statement from our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth as he prays to the Father. Uh, We sing that great song, Give Me the Bible, uh, and that's what we should be willing to pray, and that's how we should be willing to live. Um, We must bravely, faithfully answer the question, what is Truth. Do you remember that interaction between Jesus and Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, who had the authority to pronounce guilt or innocence, to pronounce crucifixion or acquittal for Jesus? In John 18, verses 36 through 38, Jesus and Pilate are interacting, and and Jesus says, everyone who, who goes by the truth hears my word and follows me. And Pilate then asked that question of the ages, what is truth? And being a good politician, a successful politician, he had forgotten the truth, that there is ultimate truth and to try to live by it. And now his life was so jaded that he couldn't even come to know what truth is. What is truth? We bravely answer that question, that the truth is the word of God, uh, the inspired scriptures that we have before us, and what Jesus would say in that great passage in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is there ultimate truth? Yes, there is. Can you have your truth or I have my truth? We may have our understanding or our perspective on the truth. But that's not the same. There's no such thing as my truth or your truth. There is the truth. And that is the truth of God's word. And that is the truth that we seek to live by. Yes, we do that imperfectly, but we can do that faithfully. And that means we seek to read it and to study it and to come to understand it as best we can. And then seek to obey it and to live by it. On Thursday afternoon, we'll start here with this great verse in John 14, verse 6, continuing our study of this belt of truth that Paul speaks about in Ephesians 6:14, And then we're going to give an example of a man from the Old Testament who really understood what it meant to live according to the truth. May God bless you and may God bless us all as we seek the truth. I'll see you Thursday.